Hello, and welcome to the reading room. This is Kate, or Mrs. Lemonade, on Twitter, and today I will be reading A Feet Equal by Ishkabibble Bafflegab, Chapter 8, His Surrendered Denial. This fic is rated for mature audiences. Please see the AO3 link in the description for additional tags. Kotsky performs an automatic factory reset and represses the ever-loving fuck out of his untimely revelation because he's got a job to do, and he knows what his priorities are, and he's a goddamn professional. I don't... <laughs> feel so good, Araka says in a tellingly strained burble. Kotsky braces himself for the epic sick he's sure she's about to serve up, only to have his stomach bottom out instead when she leans in or, more, sort of falls forward, drops her chin onto his neck guard, and proceeds to, there's really no other word for it, nuzzle at his cheek. Apparently, she's now taking whatever the hell liberties she damn well pleases. And he doesn't even freaking mind. Worse still, he thinks he likes it. Suck it up, he snaps, discomfited sensing that his days of blithely ignoring her atomic fucking cuteness have come to a summary fucking end. The prospect alone is galling and hateful, and does effectively shit all to prevent him from grasping shamelessly at the tit-for-tat pretext to take some liberties of his own. I mean that literally, Kotsky clarifies, curling his fingers into the fabric of her jumpsuit where his left hand is pressed over her ribs and turning his face just so to nudge her hair out of the way and gain access to the smooth slope of her jaw, the shapely tapered arc of her net nape. Puke on me and die, he warns, gruff, only dimly concerned that the seriousness of his threat might be undercut somewhat by his retaliatory participation in all the damn snuggling that's happening. And what in fuck is the world coming to, that that's a thought he has actual case to be thinking? Dismissively, Uraraka snorts out a weak, Try me, sweetness. I'll drop your ass like a sack of fucking bricks, he insists, subtly breathing her in as he walks them right up to the edge of the hole he's blown into the wall. Her woozy giggle lets on that she knows he's full of shit. Okay, she murmurs, lazily patronizing. Whatever you say, boss. Mochi-brained frickin' smartass, he mentally bites back, not fighting his amusement. In truth, it's no skin off his ass if she needs to hurl. It isn't an eventuality he would welcome, necessarily, since if she does start geysering barf, he's the one who'll be wearing it. But for fuck's sake, Araka's the sole reason the city isn't currently a ruined smoking hellscape. As far as he's concerned, she's more than earned herself a one-time, judgment-free pass to spew a palooza. Still, judgment-free isn't the same as hassle-free, and Kotsky is fucking contractually obligated to give her shit, just like anyone the hell else. She isn't magically exempt just because she's not so ex inexplicably irresistible all of a fucking sudden. And so much for repressing his surrendered denial. Raka, he grates, grudgingly tearing himself free of the inviting fragrance of her skin as he prepares to take a flying leap out of the registry. Ready? The way she hunkers down and burrows against him in earnest suggests she's not. Typically, if he's bothering to ask and she answers in the negative, he'll stand by for the go-ahead. But at this particular moment, 
Kotsky is beyond anxious to get as far the hell away as he can from this grisly, floor-wide testament to the three lives they've failed to save. Whether or not that means risking the revival of Uraraka's long-dormant, vomit-comet drawback. So? Tough shit, he snipes, in an undertone of unshamed impatience. Then, delaying again only long enough to secure his MVP cargo, he jumps. On the way up, Kotsky gets a first-hand glimpse at the devastating extent of the damage Fisher visited on the registry. Within, he sees collapsed or gutted internal structures and burst water pipes and the odd electrical hazard ominously flickering. Externally, riven and craggy hunks of the building sway like reeling giants, tethered in place like enormous misshapen balloons on invisible strings. The registry is fucked. He also gains some important perspective on the historic, major league fucking insanity that is Uraraka, keeping this monolithic shitting colossus of a structure afloat all by herself. Seriously, fucking how? What the shit even is she? No sooner do they touch down on the roof, miraculously sans vomit, than Kotsky tunes his earpiece to nerd frequency cuts across any forthcoming pleasantries, and starts summarizing the high points of their, or more specifically, Uraraka's, predicament. When he finishes, there's a moment of silence before, How many floors? Deku asks, and Katsuki rankles, because what he hears in the nerd's voice is fascination and excitement, not stunned incredulity, the state in which Katsuki now fucking lives. Of course Deku isn't surprised Uraraka suddenly lugging around a few extra thousand goddamn tons. He's fucking never surprised when his friends and allies pull impossible shit out of their asses, only earnestly thrilled and brimming with vicarious pride. Focus up, fuckwit. You got a way to get a hold of that shiketsu brat small eyes was up his own ass about last week? Kukan or some shit? That puffed-up meatball bastard had stopped by the main office several days ago, specifically to preen about Shiketsu's newest rising star, some second-year kid with a spatial manipulation quirk who can carve interdimensional portals out of thin fucking air and travel at whim anywhere she goddamn wants, although Kotsky's since learned the kid's quirk comes with a potentially fatal drawback. Long trips are rapid, repeated use of her power in- induces a kind of short-term narcolepsy and diminishes the amount of control she has over where she pops out. Kami, who broke this news to Katsuki over tea and Daifuku, which she ordered and let him pay for, took shameless shitting dozens of selfies with, and then pushed aside and never fucking touched, further explained that as Shiketsu's training programs have started ramping up and really testing the students' limits, Small Eyes Wonderkid has developed the unfortunate habit of opening portals at unintended terminal heights, immediately conking out and doing her absolute best to plummet to her death. So, the kid's green, and her quirk's a work in progress, and her power isn't technically teleportation, but it's functionally just as fucking good, and Katsuki can't think of anyone else, on their side and or in the industry anyway, who can bring them the pro they need to wrap this shit up anywhere near as fast. Kukan Shian, I think, and yeah, Shishikura-senpai actually introduced me to her over the weekend. She's a great kid, and her quirk is stunning. The applications are endless. Deku announces, enthusiastic. Uraraka, as ever, reflexively responding to Deku's joy, hums contentedly on Takatsuki's shoulder. 
Kotsky glowers into the middle distance, coming to terms at last with why this has always been so uniquely fucking maddening. Handing Deku off before he starts runaway blabbering about the kid's quirk like the whack-job fanboy he is. Got a number then? Or meatballs? Not his number specifically, no, but I've got Nagama-sama-san's branch office on speed dial, and I'm sure someone there will be able to help us make whatever arrangements we need. Speaking of, what arrangements do we need to make? Off the top of his head, Katsuki can think of three heroes who might be of use in resolving the situation. There's Shiva, whose diamond dust quirk could solve, dissolve the registry into harmless shimmering sparkles, and Green Thumb, whose eponymous power could transfigure the entire building into vines and flowers, and possibly bond it back together. And then there's Shrink Wrap, whose size manipulation abilities would enable her to envelop and shrink the registry down to infinitely more manageable dimensions. Unfortunately, Sheva lives in some far-off southern prefecture, and Kotsky's pretty sure he remembers hearing news about Green Thumb expatriating recently, so he has to imagine neither of them are in range of the kid's current abilities. Although, even if the kid could get one of them here, who knows how long either of their quirks would take to fully disintegrate or transform a building of this size. Finally, because the registry is a multi-billion yen government asset, they have to try to preserve what remains of the structure if they have the means to do so, and the effects of Shiva's and Green Thumb's quirks are, regrettably, irreversible, a fact which should have barred them both from consideration as anything other than potential courses for last resort. Except... By process of elimination, that just leaves Shrink Wrap. Shrink Wrap, who lives in Tokyo, only one ward away, and his quirk works fast, which he knows from having seen it in action. She was famously recruited by NASA and JAXA to shrink and retrieve the decommissioned International Space Station so they wouldn't have to crash it into the ocean, and footage of the event was live-streamed to the whole fucking planet. In a matter of seconds, she was holding the ISS in the palm of her hand, reduced to roughly the size of one of the grenades on his belt, and packaged in sheer, shiny wrapping. Later, the unwrapping was also a simulcast, and the world watched her set the shrunken craft on the ground, hop back a step, and dramatically raise her arms into the air, crackling like a crackpot, as the empty desert plateau before her filled with a dead-ass million tons of space junk in the blink of a damn eye. By any criteria, then, shrink wraps the clear choice and it should be an easy choice. But the point is, he doesn't fucking want to choose her, and racks his brain for any viable alternative, even after he's convinced it's a lost cause. Generally, Kotsky doesn't like hiring freelancers, since they tend to be high-demand specialists whose services are often only available at extortionate, bank-breaking rates, but he'll hire one if the situation calls for it, including shrink wrap who's bound to be charging a generous fucking premium after that stunt with the ISS. And he's got no beef with the so-called seal-and-fresh hero personally, either. How the hell could he when he's never freaking met her? The actual source of his aversion to her, pathetically, is the nature of her quirk, which reminds him unavoidably of the time he was motherfucking atomized in the woods, squeezed into a claustrophobic fucking marble, and dragged against his will into the inciting incident that ended All Might's career. Ultimately, however, his shitty baggage isn't a factor. His sole priority right now is relieving Uraraka of her burden as quickly as possible, to spare her any among a host of potentially debilitating consequences overclocking her quirk might invite. So, get me shrink wrap fucking yesterday.
He issues this command in a tone edged with unmasked hostility. A short-lived silence punctuates the rhythm of their exchange, and Katsuki can practically see Deku nodding at Todoroki, who is either directly at the nerd's side or loose one mortal fucking coil, mutely delegating half and half a task. Todoroki will be nodding right back, fluently translating Deku's rope motion into explicit instructions, after which the two of them will no doubt make fucking goo-goo eyes at each other as they split off to complete their individual assignments. Predictable fucking saps. At length, we're on it, Ground Zero, Deku says. We'll put the call in for shrink wrap, and I'll head in her direction just in case we can't get permission to borrow Kukusan. Katsuki opens his mouth to snap that can't ain't a goddamn option, but comes up short when a one-two drip splash lands on his shoulder, followed by the slightest partial deafness muffled sniffle. It's Uraraka crying. Urgently changing tack, Deku, he snarls, grasping angry for a way to stress that time is of the essence, without calling attention either to Uraraka's distress, since it seems like she's trying to be discreet about it, or his own sense of frustrated helplessness, because what fucking right does he have to inflict his spirit-dampening, selfish-ass misgivings on the one person standing between this city and complete annihilation? Per fucking usual, Deku pickaxes his way into Kotsky's brain and mines the meaning he fails to actually communicate, then skips ahead to the guileless, heartfelt assurance portion of the program. You can count on me, Kachan. This declaration evokes a haunting scene from a year past. Uraraka, twice impaled in his stead and passed off into Deku's care, while continuing to bleed absolutely outright motherfucking everywhere. And Deku, making exactly the same vague, uncompromising pledge to do whatever it might take to save her. Following the script like Deku hasn't just deliberately kicked his heart in the dick. Fuck off already, damn nerd. Deku's answering smile is fucking audible. Arav Achako-san, Deku says, with an easy, honest affection Katsuki hates. If you need anything, really anything at all, even if it seems trivial, don't hesitate to ask. I'm here if you need me, just a tap away. You know that, right? Uraraka, evidently trying to pretend she's fine, quietly struggles to compose herself enough to respond. After a moment, in a tightly controlled yet candidly sweet voice, I know. Thank you, Deku-kun. Always, Deku promises. Although, he laughs, since Kachan's there, you'll probably have all the support you can handle, and then some. Still, the offer stands. Shrewdly forging ahead before Katsuki can demand what in fuck that's supposed to mean. In the meantime, hang tight. We'll be there before you know it. You've got this. Katsuki, outraged at Deku's drive-by insolence, Fucking, of course she's got this. What part of fuck off already don't you understand? Stop mother henning and dicking around and go get me my goddamn freelancer. Then, before the nerd can get another word in edgewise, Kotsky smacks off his calm and plunges the rooftop into abrupt, spiteful silence. The distant dirge of the evacuation sirens and untold scores of cars honking down below do constitute a kind of unpleasant ambient noise. But for the most part, it's all too faint and far away to fully hear, and keeps getting filtered out by the wind, which, at this altitude, howls loud and endless. Strangely, though, the raging bursts of wind lend the quiet and eerie definition and seem to enhance it. 
that is, until Uraraka finds her voice again, and punctuates the tentative piece with a petulant, if strained, rebuke. Hmm, would it kill you to be nice just once? Are you fucking new? Kotsky sneers, his much-aligned rage aura flaring up and instantly incinerating any goodwill she might have accrued. Enfeebled to an almost comical degree, Uraraka squirms against him briefly, indignant and determined, managing to push herself back to confront him face to face only after a tremendous effort. She wobbles drunkenly, and he shoots a hand out, gently catching her at the nape to brace her. The assist does nothing to mitigate her scrunch-browed disapproval. That Guggen was cheering me up and being a good friend. You had no right to hang up on him like that. There are fresh tears rolling down her cheeks, but most are adhered in an uncomfortable-looking, gel-like film to her eyes, because she herself is currently a microgravity environment, meaning any liquid in her intrinsic field will ball up and fail to fall. As soon as he notices... He frowns and reaches up with the heel of his other hand to smear away the accumulated moisture so she doesn't blind herself with her own damn tears. This explains why she's been trying to hold it in, at least. She and the nerd both are unrepentant, dyed-in-the-wool crybabies, so he had wondered. No reason. Every second that shithead spent shooting off his idiot mouth was time fucking wasted. So what? It's my time to waste. Which though technically true, is also childish and fucking asinine. In general, this entire line of reprimand feels somehow gratuitous. She's constantly pointing out, with odd self-satisfaction, examples of how far he and Deku have come since high school, and she might not always condone the way he interacts with the nerd, but she very rarely cries foul, unless, by her reckoning, he really crosses a line. And he objectively fucking hasn't. So the question is, what is this defending Deku's shitty honor shtick actually about? Are you planning on keeping this shit up all night then? Say the word, round face, and I'll leave you the hell to it. Real consternation surfaces in her expression, and, interestingly, restores some of her color. You want to get him back on the line and gab like a couple of carefree fucking gossips? I'll even reopen the channel before I go, since you probably couldn't do it yourself with those bum fucking arms. She pouts, offended, as he wipes away another teary bubble forming under her left eye, noticing as he does so that her gaze is clearer, less glassy with unshed tears. You should know better than anyone that every second counts right now, and Deku needed a boot to the damn head to get his distracted ass to... Wait. God fucking damn it, that's it, isn't it? Turns out, he's the shithead. Uraraka's pushing the Deku button on purpose, to pick a fight, because this is what she needs. Not flaccid reassurance or focus-boosting peace and quiet, but a distraction, something to keep the fire lit under her and take her mind off of what has to be unreal, unimaginable pain. Fighting, he can do. Gladly, since it's what he's best at, and with fucking aplomb. Game on, sweetness. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this reading, please use the AO3 link in the description to give the author a well-deserved kudos and comment. Also, don't hesitate to message us on Twitter with your requests for fix to be read.